Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. Happy Easter weekend. I don't think we should call it Easter weekend. We should call it Resurrection weekend. Okay, now you're alive. I'm glad that you're here. And uh, to our friends who are watching live and those who will listen during the week on the podcast, we like to thank you for spending this time with us. Set aside on your weekly schedule and, and letting these moments be the, the time when you get together with Jesus. Amen. And I want to start asking you a question this morning. Have you ever been stained? Like you were about to leave your house ready for work or to a special place and then all of a sudden you notice that there's a stain on your clothes? I remember when my boys were younger, uh, they were little toddlers. Actually, we only had two at the time. Uh, we discovered right away that driving in one car to church was always stressful for me because I wanted to be there early and the boys took a little longer to get ready. So we decided early that we were going to drive two cars to church. So one Sabbath morning, the boys were having breakfast and I was ready to go and I went to the kitchen and said, guys, daddy is going to church. And Gino and Gianni got up from the table and went and hugged me. But as soon as they were coming to hug me, I saw there in their hands there was some stuff that was sticky. But it was too late. My pants had already acquired that infamous substance. And I had to go quickly and change. Because see, the truth is that we don't like to have stains over clothes. We like to look nice, don't we? We like to look presentable. We don't like to have any kind of a spots or marks that, that, that make us uncomfortable because we feel ashamed oftentimes when we have a stain. We try to cover it. We don't like to have stains on our clothes. Uh, I was reading this week on uh, HowStuffWorks.com, and they made a list of the 10 toughest stains to remove. And maybe, ladies, you know more about this than I, but maybe, maybe you agree with some of this. The number 10 stain that they, they agree that is one of the 10 toughest is coffee or tea. I wouldn't know about that. The number nine is gum. Yeah, you agree? There's some remedies with ice and stuff. The, number eight is peanut butter. I think that's what I got on my pants that Sabbath morning. Number seven is mustard. You know, Dodger Stadium, you know. Berry juice. Any kind of berry juice. Yeah, pomegranate, I mean, probably is even worse, right? That, that's not in the list, though. I don't know. And number five, tomato-based sauces. Horrible, right? You're in a wedding and then spaghetti and, you know, you know whips the sauce right on your shirt. Awful. Number four is baby food. Be amazed, you know, that you figure that they all cover on stains, you know, food. Number three is red wine. We'll skip that one. Now, number two is chocolate. Chocolate. Don't lie, you know. You know. Sitting on the couch. No. Binging a show. Um, number one is cooking, cooking grease or butter. Awful stains. Awful stains. We don't like to be stained, but you know what? There's a stain that's even worse than these. 
And this stain, Jesus is the only one that can remove it. This is a stain that the church in Sardis was covered with. If you open your notes or go to your Bibles, let's go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1. We'll continue in this series that we title Love Even in Spite of Me. And we've been visiting all the churches that John wrote in the book of Revelation. And today we'll go to the letter to Sardis. Verse 1 says in the first part, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. He who has... This possession is who? Jesus. Jesus. You breathing this morning? Let's try this again. He who has the possession is who? Jesus. So he rides to the church in Sardis. Now, the church in Sardis, what, what's an interesting uh, place? Because see, we've been comparing these cities of old with cities of our time. And uh, Sardis was such a, a, a beautiful location. It wasn't one of the wealthiest like like Ephesus but was in such a beautiful place that, that we can think of Sardis as being in Palos Verdes or Newport Beach. See the historians tell us that, that this city was on the top of Mount Ptolemus and this from this mount they could see everything and there in this city of Sardis lived the untouchables. Not the untouchables as in people who were poor, but the untouchables because they were so wealthy that nobody could be with them. For example, Alexander the Great had a house there. Antiochus the Great had a house there. Cyrus the king had a house there. So you can imagine the neighborhood. I, I bet you there were paparazzis all over because they wanted to take pictures of them. It was a city that enjoyed incredible riches. In fact, modern money was invented there. There were five roads who would take the people to Sardis. That Im implied that there were a lot of visitors, a lot of commerce. They were the first producers of wool. And not only they produced wool and garments of wool, but also they invented dye. So they had the corner on clothing. So if you had clothes from Sardis, you were in. In fact, I think that the ancient fashion week was held in Sardis. Also, it was a center of jewelry. And the river, Pactolus, the river that ran through the middle of the city was heavy with gold. So you knew that if you lived in Sardis, you had the means. And in 1968, they discovered that there was an ancient refinery of gold in the middle of the city. One of their famous governors was Croesus, and they had a saying that in those ancient times, that if somebody was wealthy, they would say, oh, he's almost as rich as Croesus. They were so wealthy that in the, in the year 17 of our era, uh, there was an earthquake that decimated most of the city. The Roman empires offered help, and they said, no, 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 we can do it on our own. And in five years, they rebuilt the whole city even better than it was before the earthquake. They were known for three things. Three things. Number one, parties. 
Number two, luxury. And number three, abundance. And probably right now you're thinking, well, what was their stain? The thing is this, that Jesus knows your reputation. Jesus knows exactly who you are. The synagogue in Sardis was a beautiful building. You can't imagine. See, we have a beautiful building. Uh, I thank God that, that, that for the blessings that he's given us. You know, I, I love walking out of my office and look out the, the window, and I, I don't even think that I'm in the middle of the city. You know, you see the trees and the hills. It, it's just gorgeous. But it does not compare to the beauty, to the wealth, to the comfort, to the experience of Sardis. They did not, different from the other churches, they did not suffer from persecution. They had social freedom. They had religious freedom. And, and, and a beautiful thing is that they did not have immorality like the other churches. But even better than that, they did not suffer from religious fallacies. They didn't have doctrinal problems. So we could say that this was a city that had peace. They had no problems except one little thing. The peace that they endure, it wasn't the Pax Romana that we talked about a few weeks ago. This peace that they have, the Bible makes a reference to it as peace as somebody who is dead. Let's continue to read verse 1, second part. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. They had the appearance. They looked like they had it all together. They said the right things. They dressed the right way. They ate the right diet. But they were dead. But don't get scared. Don't get scared. Don't, don't scare them. I'm telling them that they were dead. Um, there's two words for life in the Greek. The first one is the word bio. Bio. That's from where we get the word biology in science. And, and, and that is just life, being alive. But the other word is zoe. And zoe refers to quality of life. This church was only alive, but their quality of life was non-existent. Their life was dictated by the culture they were in, not by the life that Jesus wanted them to have. They were super busy with a lot of things. Super busy. They had agendas full. They had their schedules filled. But they weren't doing anything that transcended. They were not doing anything of importance. They were just busy. This is a church that needed to have a life, but the life that only Jesus can give. And the prophetic timeline, this church is the beginning of the Reformation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, says this in your notes. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, by grace you have been saved. 
Now, this is a promise, family. Paul is writing to the Ephesians saying, guys, this is probably the same experience that the church of Sardis had. You want to be alive, but the only way that you can be alive is if you commit to a relationship with Christ. Now, now let me do an experiment here with you. Now, Giovanni, uh, come here. Take your jacket off and come here. We're going to do a little experiment here. In case you don't know, this, this handsome boy has the blessing of sharing my last name. <laughs> now, we're going to give you a brand new shirt here today. Okay. Uh, no, it's a little big. It's okay. Now, how many of you would like to have a shirt like this? It's homemade. Unique design. But why not? It's stained. It's dirty, right? But the material is good. He, he has it. He's wearing it at church. So there's have to be some holy element. He's a pastor's kid. How holier can he get? See, this is the way that Jesus sees us. This is the way that Jesus saw the church in Sardis. You're at the right place. You have the right name. You believe the right things. But the reality is that you're covered with stains. Now what Paul is saying is that you might be all stained. But when you experience a relationship with Jesus, who you are is who you are. We are imperfect. We are sinners. We're covered with stains. And see, and we'll never forget that one day we were sinners. But Jesus comes and says, look, this is Giovanni's shirt. Let me give you mine. This is what Jesus does. He takes his robe of righteousness and places it. He places it on us covering our stains cover our imperfections covering our who we are ourselves our sinner sinner nature and he says because i love you now you're not just giovanni now you are my son thank you He continues, Paul saying in Colossians 2.13, saying, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, who is he? Capital H. You told me you were breathing earlier. Who is he? Jesus. Jesus has made us alive together in him. See, there is no way. There's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. There is nothing I can do. I can try. But there's nothing I can do to cover my imperfections, to cover my stains. In Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul telling his experience. Now, if you remember, Paul said, and I think he had an issue with, uh, with uh, selfishness and, and, and self-adulation. Because you know, Paul writes, I was the chief of sinners. 
and Roman of Romans and Jew of Jews. You know, not just any Jew, the Jew of Jews, you know. So he writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Whoa. Now he's not talking about him anymore. But Christ lives in me. Paul understood that it was not, not about his works. It wasn't about his effort. It wasn't about what he could attain. It was about what Christ could do in him. Now to live like Paul, we got to have this in mind. Paul understood that he could not do anything more than to trust that Jesus could do it for him. And he writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, it is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Notice that he, that he doesn't say, I earned it. Notice that he doesn't say, I won it. It is laid out for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. This is exactly what Sardis was needing, but they did not understand it. Let's go back to Sardis, to Revelation 3.2. It's there in your notes. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. They, I mean, that they are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. I have not found your works perfect before God. So see, they were doing the right things. They were saying the right things. They were believing the right things. They were eating the right things. They were appearing the right way. But like that, they were always going to be stained. The stain that we are covered with can only be removed by love. The love of Jesus. That is why we have to understand that there is nothing we can hide for Jesus. Because Jesus knows our path. The church of Sardis, we could say that it was the church of the living dead. How do we know when a church is dying? I was thinking about this during this week. How do we know when a church is dying? Well, one of the ways is when that church believes that they're better than their reality. When they're more concerned about their image than their purpose. When they try to live in the past, not concerned about the present. When that church begins to die, when they, were, when they get more concerned about the material things than people. And I hope it hasn't been your experience, but I've been in, a, in some churches as a pastor, as a member. And it is sad oftentimes to see that their church is more concerned about the color of things and the material things than how to save people who don't know Jesus. That's why the letter is written to the church in Sardis. There's a warning. Be watchful. Pay attention. Verse 3, Revelation 3. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, are you with me? If you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. 
Other version says, as a thief in the night. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. So, so this church is giving a warning. Repent. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop doing what you're doing. You have to turn around. In fact, re repenting in the Greek has an interesting meaning. First, it's a change of direction. If you're going this way, change direction. But it, then he has an attitude. And the attitude is that I've been in the wrong place. This is not the place where I should be. That is why I'm changing my direction. And then he comes with a decision. I don't want to be there again. That is repentance in the Bible. That is the meaning of repentance. When there is no change of direction, when there is no attitude that I've been in the wrong place, and when there's no decision, I don't want to be there again, then it's not true repentance. Somebody wiser than me said that true repentance works a change of actions. Now, the theme of the night issue is really interesting, and we have to visit history to understand this. You see, uh, Cyrus the king wanted to conquer Sardis. I mean, all the kings wanted Sardis. A and when he was there, this, this city was built on the mount, uh, as, as we said before. And the access to the city was uh, very narrow, so no army could really conquer the city. So they decided to siege the city. But you see, when water runs through and there's so, so, uh, sustainability of life inside the city, a siege is not really effective. So Cyrus, after 14 days of the siege, he said to his soldiers, you know, I'm going to give a great reward to whoever finds a way to get into the city and conquer it. So one of the soldiers decided to stay awake all night to see if at night he could find a secret. As he was in his post, he noticed that one of the guards guarding the city above was looking down. And as he was looking down, the helmet on his head fell down the cliff. Now, if you're a guard, if you're a shoulder, uh, uh, shoulder uh, a soldier, you don't want to lose your helmet. Right? So all of a sudden, as, as this soldier down, down below is watching, he realized that the soldier who lost his helmet from above earlier, now he's walking right in front of him, grabbing the helmet. He's like, whoa, how did he get down that fast? And then he realized that he walked back into the cliff and disappeared, and a few minutes later, he was up there again. He discovered that the Sardinians, Sardinites, Sardines. <laughs> you knew I was getting there. You knew it. You knew it. Sardicides. That the Sardisite army, army had a way to get to the cliff fast. So this secret passage allowed Cyrus's army to get into the city in the middle of the night and conquer it. So when the Sardicites would hear as a thief in the night, whoa, uh, we remember that night. We don't want to go through that again. Thief in the night was a terrible, terrible memory. So what the letter is telling to the church in Sardis is, you have to change your ways. 
you don't want to be there again. Because if you remain in the same way you are, you're going to lose everything that you have again. And it's going to be worse. At this time, we could even think on the times that we lost something that we, that we regarded precious because we did not want to change our ways. And that is exactly the message that is conveyed to this church. But there's good news. Jesus knows your heart. Verse 4, you have a few names, even in Sardis, or if you, we can exchange the word names by people, for people. You have a few names, even Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Are they worthy because they did the right thing, or are they worthy because they trusted on the only one who can give them the white robe? Let's see. Verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and, and before my angels. Now, every time we read white garments in the Bible, that means one theological term, and that term is justification. Justification does not mean that a person is innocent of their sins. No, no, no. It just means that those sins committed have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So this white garment is a symbol of justification. Not that we deserve it, not that we accomplished it, but that Jesus has done it for us. But there's another element here in this text that is even more important to me and for us to understand today. And this is the book of life. Now to understand this better, we have to know that there is a library in heaven. Now, let me share this text with you. This is in Revelation 20, 12. 20, uh, yeah, 20, 12. And it says, And I saw the dead, as small and great, standing before God. Now, you see that this is a judgment scene. And books were open. You realize that it's not a singular book. It's multiple. And another book, not just those books, but another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now, let me explain this, this to you. We know the title of one book because it's just given to us. That is the book of good, the book of life. Now, we don't know the title of the other books, but we could assume that because everything is written in those books, books, we could call them the books of memories, for lack of a better term. So let me explain what these books mean. Every thought, every word, every action that we've ever done is written in the book of memories. If we were to be judged according to that, we're toast. But what Jesus is saying here is, But if you trusted in me, if you allow me to cover your stains with my robe of righteousness, your name will be written in the book of life. The only thing that is written in the book of life is names. So when the time for the judgment comes, 
And the devil is about to take, uh, let me take this metaphor this far, everyone's actions to judgment. Jesus says, wait a minute. You can do that, but not before I give you this book. The book of life. In this book are written the names of all those who trusted in me and were humble enough to allow me to cover their sins. They trusted in my power and my blood and my sacrifice to cover their faults. That is why their names are written here. So let me ask a question. What book do you want to be in? Well, you're already in one for sure. We're already in one in the book of memories, but we want to be in the book of life. In Luke chapter 12, verse 8, Jesus says, I also say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels of God. In other words, he who confesses me before man, I will write his name in the book of life. Verse 6 says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you have an ear this morning? I'm sure you've seen pictures like this. You've seen those? You know what that is? It's a snowflake. Snowflake. Snowflakes are, are very special things because this is a, a microscope kind of uh, a perspective of a snowflake. And the beauty about the snowflakes is that not two are the same. All the snowflakes are unique. But what caused my attention and what really attracted me about this picture is that it came in an article that, that, that recently came out. And, and what he says is that scientists have discovered that in the core of every snowflake, in fact, the reason why snowflakes look the way they, they look there is because in the core, in the heart, in the center of the snowflakes, there is a speck of dust. It is a speck of dust that allows the snowflake to form the shapes that they make so beautifully. And as we think about the letter to Sardis, we can only un believe and understand that Jesus, God, can take the stain, the impurity, our imperfections in our hearts and make something beautiful out of them. And even though our hearts are dirty and soiled. Jesus loves even the soil. Because it's around our hearts, around our imperfections, that He's willing to make something worthy, something valuable, something that would last for eternity. So today I want to ask you and invite you that if you haven't trusted your imperfections to Jesus, today he is saying, if I can make something beautiful out of a speck of dust, I can make something beautiful out of your heart. And if today you want to recommit your heart to Jesus, let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled by the idea that there is a God who was willing to give everything for us. 
we are humbled by understanding that there is a God who was given and given so greatly that he gave his only son to die for our sins. And, and Father, perhaps some of us have tried so hard to be cleansed, to be clean on our own. But we failed miserably and in our heart there's resentment and anger and a judgmental attitude. So Father, today we want to thank you because it is through Jesus that we can find true, true cleansiness. It is through Jesus that we can find true forgiveness. And it is through Jesus that we can find our true value. So today, as we celebrate the victory that He can only give, we want to thank you for calling us your own, for knowing exactly who we are, and for giving us the opportunity to follow to the place that we ought to be. We don't thank you because of what we've done. We thank you because of what Jesus has. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. And as we think on these words, let's hear this song of resurrection. Jesus' name, angels have rolled. 